Thank you, Pastor Allen. Before um, we go into the message today, before we dive into the word, I want to ask every uh, teenager and leader, every every student, every leader, would you let's go into camp uh, here in just a few hours? Would you stand wherever you are? Come on, stand up. All right, Lifehouse, look around. I don't think that's quite all of them. I believe, I'm going to look over here. We have 20 total students, right? 10, 10, 10 boys, 10 girls, right? 10 young men of God, 10 young women of God. Yeah. Yeah. And Holly and Chad and Danae are going to be leading them here in just a few hours. They're leaving. They'll um, drive to Goodlitzville, Tennessee, to Jackson Conference Center, a place that I've been many, 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 many times before, even more than that, truthfully. Um, it's a wonderful location. It's an incredible camp, um, and I'm just so thankful that um, we have incredible leaders who are seeing through the vision of our Lifehouse students to continue taking them to camp and seeing God work in their lives in a miraculous way. Amen. I want to ask uh, everybody in the church, if you would, to just find a teenager, find a leader, stretch your hands toward them. We're going to believe God uh, for safety as they travel. Amen, right? We're going to believe God for uh, automobiles and buses that have been borrowed to work uh, properly that tires and batteries and gas tanks and all of the things necessary go well. Uh, but even more than that, we're going to pray and believe God for the miraculous while they're gone. We're going to pray and believe God that those of them who are far from Christ will find new relationship in Him. Amen? Come on, so let's just believe God. Father, we thank you so much for this camp, for our students, and for our leaders. We pray, God, a special blessing over every leader, every intern, every staff member, every speaker that is there this week. We pray, God, that you would go ahead of our students, that you would anoint the speakers, that you would anoint the property in a special way. God, I pray that as they travel, that they would be able to do so in safety and in confidence. God, I pray that uh, for good behavior, I pray, Father, that uh, community would increase, that love for one another, appreciation for uh, leaders in their life would increase. God, I pray uh, that they would encounter you. I pray, Lord, that they win every competition that they take part in. God, every basketball game, let Lifehouse students come out victorious. God, but even more than the competitions and the games and the fun, Father, let them know you in a special way. Every, and I pray for the leaders as well. God, I pray that Chad, that Holly, and Danae would encounter you in ways like they never have before. That you would fill them overflowing with your spirit. That you would touch their physical bodies. That you would encourage their minds. And God, that you would touch them unlike any way they've ever known before. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. And Lifehouse said amen. Amen. I said Lifehouse said amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Isn't God good? I said, isn't the Lord good? Amen. Take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 6. Go to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. Josiah, go ahead and start my countdown timer so I know when I have to be done so that Jeff can get to lunch on time. <laughs> Sherry, nodding her head. That's right. That's right. Priorities, right? Yeah. If, if you knew me, you, and you do, you know that that means nothing to me. <laughs> um, Luke chapter 6. In case you are unaware, today is Pentecost Sunday. And it's a, it's a great day to be in church because today is officially the birthday of the church. This is when the New Testament church was born and began. We read about it specifically in Acts chapter 2. 
And um, I, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture, and then I'm going to pray again. And as I pray in a few moments, I want to ask you to pray for me. Pray that I would be obedient to the Holy Spirit, that I would be completely and totally led uh, by Holy Spirit, and that I would say what only he would have me say. So this is what Jesus says. If you have a red-letter Bible, it's in red letters. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. We got good there three times. Now, the NIV says man, but I hope, ladies, you understand this applies to you as well. Amen? Okay, okay, so a good lady, okay, we could say that, brings good things out of the good, good stored up in her heart. Okay, it works, okay, I promise you. I'm not misrepresenting scripture there. So a good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And that last sentence, that last phrase right there, is where I want to camp out today. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Today I want to preach to you a message that uh, I'm calling the cure for complaining. <laughs> so hold on tight, y'all. It's going to get good. It's going to get bad, but then it's going to get good. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible time and in worship we've had. We thank you, Father, for being able to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. God, I thank you for our students and our leaders going to camp. God, I thank you that by the time we leave this place, that we will have continued to encounter you. God, I pray and I believe in faith that we will leave encouraged, but that, Lord, we would also leave challenged, Lord, to accept things into our heart, uh, your spirit specifically, so that when we speak, it's like you're talking. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. So in case uh, you didn't hear me a few moments ago, today is Pentecost Sunday. Now, that word Pentecost and Pentecostal has so many different meanings to so many different people. For some people, the word Pentecost brings about feelings, uh, uh, good feelings of joy, feelings of good memories, and, 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 and just it brings about a good connotation. For other people, it, it brings the opposite feeling to mind. It brings a feeling of, of crazy church services and feeling a little uh, out of the loop. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, some people, when they think of Pentecost, they think that uh, that means you can't cut your hair or that you can't wear makeup or that you have to wear a lot of makeup, one or the other. Uh, some people couldn't make up their minds. Um, you know it's true. You know it's true. And if you can't make fun of it, then I don't want to be part of it. So I don't. I, that's just who I am, and that's how I roll, and this is my sermon, so hold on tight. But can I just tell you that the, the Pente Pentecost within a, in and of itself is, is not anything that anybody should be afraid of, and it's not necessarily anything that we should um, uh, overly identify in, if I may say that. I believe I, I am a Pentecostal person in that I believe in the power of Pentecost, but I think to understand what Pentecost means, we really need to understand what it meant to the believers before Acts chapter 2 comes into play. You see, Pentecost is a Greek word that literally means 50 days. Nothing special about that, right? It means 50 days. It's a Greek word. It means 50 days. Uh, the Hebrew people uh, who weren't speaking in Greek, if they were talking in Hebrew, they would have called it the Festival of Weeks. W-E-E-K-S. Uh, -E -E you know, not weeks like W-E-A-K-S. In fact, it would be the Festival of Strong. Anyway, never mind. That's a bad joke. Shouldn't have done that. Take that back. Rewind. Anyway, they would call it the Festival of Weeks. And the reason why they would call it the Festival of Weeks is because... Uh, they're referring to specifically seven weeks after Passover or 50 days after Passover. I know the math doesn't exactly line up. Give me a break. It is what it is. Calm down, okay? All right, 4950, basically the same thing, all right? And so let me ask you, if anybody is a Bible scholar or just uh, informed very well, what happened 50 days or seven weeks after the very first Passover that took place in Exodus? Does anybody know? The Ten Commandments were given to Moses on Mount Sinai, right? God wrote the Ten Commandments himself. Turn around and give him a high five. for doing. Yeah, give him a high five. That's what you get. Yeah, yeah. Some of you, some, get you, some, you got some long-distance high fives there too. The Ten Commandments were given. Uh, and, and that is when God gave the law 
to his people, to the Hebrew people in the book of Exodus. And so Jewish people every, uh, every year uh, would get together for Passover and then they would come back together 50 days later or seven weeks later on the day of Pentecost. So that's why when you read in, in, in Acts chapter 2 in the King James, that's the only one I have it memorized in, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. In other words, on, on the day of Pentecost, the, the, the feast of Pentecost, the specific day that we're going to celebrate when God gave Moses the law. That's why they were all together. That's why when you read in Acts chapter 2, they were all these Jewish people from all over different parts of the country and different parts of the world who were getting together in Jerusalem on that specific day was to worship and to celebrate. If you, and if you want to like know and understand that God is a God of a good time, you just need to do a little bit of a deep dive into the feasts and the festivals of the Old Testament. There's, there's too many of them, to be honest. I can't even keep it. There's at least seven big ones, but there's a bunch more after that, okay? And, and because God is all about having fun, if you ask me. Yeah. So people would get together. They would celebrate. They would, uh, they would have a good time uh, as they celebrated how 50 days after Passover, after the angel of death, if you remember from the book of Exodus, the angel of death passed over the people who had the blood of the lamb that covered them. Come on, that'll preach, right? Aren't you thankful for the blood of the lamb? And as beautiful as that was, God uh, looked forward to a day when no longer would his law be written on tablets of stone, but rather his law would live directly on the hearts of his people. You can actually read about these different prophecies through Ezekiel, through Isaiah, and one specifically in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, uh, God says through him, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And we just celebrated as we partook of communion, the new covenant that was given in Jesus, you know, for our Passover, or rather our Easter aligns with Passover. He says, the day is coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now here's where the prophecy really takes place. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So 600 years later, after Jeremiah writes these words as, a, as an exile, the prophecy is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 when the church is filled with the Holy Spirit and God's law was no longer written on tablets of stone, but it was written on hearts of flesh. Being filled with the Holy Spirit changes what I say because he fills my heart and what is in my heart will come out of my mouth. So let me ask you a question. I'm not very good in algebra, so when I start talking about equations and formulas, uh, my theology gets a little hairy. But let me just ask you this question. If what is in my heart comes out of my mouth, right? That's, that's what Jesus said. What's in your heart will come out of your mouth. If what's coming out of my mouth doesn't look like Holy Spirit, does that mean the Holy Spirit is in my heart? It, it's not. That means I have not been filled. That means maybe I was filled. But that means uh, I'm lacking something that I used to have. And so today, I want to talk about how when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes what we say. And specifically today, I feel like this is going to be hard, but I think it's going to be good. There's a lot of stuff coming out of our mouth that's negative and complaining in nature, and it doesn't reflect the heart of God. And the Lord wants to touch you and fill you with his spirit. Change your heart. Write his law, his law of love directly on your heart so that when you speak, you speak not as a, a human being, but rather you speak as an oracle of almighty God, the truths and the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Because what's in my heart comes out of my mouth. And something else that you need to know is your words have creative power. That's something that's been talked about time and time again from this platform. When God created humanity, when, rather when God created everything that he created, the word says that he spoke it into existence. And then God decided to create, create humanity. And he said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. So God stooped down in the dirt and he formed humanity. And then the Bible says that he breathed 
breathed the breath of life into human beings, and human beings became a living person, right? And that word breath that we find throughout the Old Testament is the exact same word for spirit. In Hebrew, it's ruach. In, in the New Testament, in Greek, it's pneuma. So when you read breath, when you read wind, when you read life-giving force, you are reading something that's literally describing the breath that God has breathed into each one of us. And because we have been made in his likeness and in his image, and because we have the breath of God that literally gives life to our human bodies, when we speak, hear me when I tell you this, your words have creative power. So the question that you need to ask is, what am I creating? Am I creating a future I want to walk into with the way I speak? Or am I creating a future I would rather not have with the way I speak? The writer of Proverbs, Solomon, tells us the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it eat its fruit. I don't know about you, but I have taken a bite out of a few bad apples in my life. And that's not the kind of fruit I enjoy. I want good fruit. And ultimately, Jesus and, and, and the word of God is telling us the fruit that you are going to experience relies entirely on the words you choose to speak. You guys with me today? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words have the power to make me or to destroy me. Amen. Amen. Okay. And let me say it like this. I can't control what you say. You may have some things to say about me that are less than ideal and things that I wouldn't be so happy to hear. In fact, you've probably said some of the things that I'm better off not knowing when it comes to me. I, I know how it works. I know how that is. It doesn't hurt my feelings. At least I'm not going to tell you it does publicly, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. I can't control what you say about me. I can't control what you say about my family. I can't control what you say about my life. But I can control what I say about myself. I can control what I say about my family. I can control what I choose to speak. So when I'm saying sticks and stones may break my bones, but words have the power to make me or break me, I'm not talking about the words you have to say about me. I'm talking about the words I have to say about me, the words that I have to say about my life, the words that I have to say about my future, the words that I have to say about what God has given me. Going back to Luke 6.45, again, Jesus says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The King James says, for out of the abundance of the heart... Or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which is to imply something that I think we all need to understand if we're going to really understand the real and true cure for complaining is that our complaints flow from our heart, not our circumstances. Our complaints don't flow from the things around us that are not the way we wish they were. Our complaints flow from the condition of our hearts. Because what I say is determined by what is inside of me, not what is around me. Our complaints flow from our heart, not our circumstances. And so with that, complaining, Lifehouse, is a heart problem. I'm not saying cholesterol or blood pressure or anything like that. That's a little Debbie problem. <laughs> That's a too much red meat problem. And that is not what I'm talking about today because I would be a hypocrite. I'm a little bit of a hypocrite about this too, but you'll forgive me. Complaining is a heart problem. And we, we get record of this going all the way back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. Uh, they said to Moses... And this is, this is so interesting. I'll give you the context in just a moment. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? This is after Moses has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt as slaves. They've, crossed, uh, they've went across the Red Sea and they have seen God's miraculous salvation through the ten plagues. They have seen the pillar of fire by night that keeps them warm and guides their way. They have seen the pillar of cloud by day that gives them shade and shows them where to go. They have seen God move in ways that most of us could only ever dream of seeing God move in our lives. And they come to Moses as they are wandering around in the wilderness and they say, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Is that why you brought us out into the desert to die? They go on and they say, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. 
If you've never read through the Old Testament, I encourage you to do so because it will make you feel better about your own spiritual life. Because it is a journey of ups and downs, complaining, getting mad, God removing his blessing, bad things happening. Finally, they repent. Finally, God gives them blessings again. And, and I actually, when I first became a Christian and first started reading through the Bible, I was talking to my friend. His name was Jeremy. And I think I was somewhere in the, you know, uh, the, the, the major prophets like Isaiah or something like that. And I said, man, this, this Old Testament stuff is depressing. Like, they're just always just up and down, back and forth, up and down, back and forth. And he says, yeah, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because that's a lot of times how we live our own life. Can I tell you, though, that's not how God wants you to live your life. But anyway, the Israelites, here, here's one of their big problems all throughout Scripture, is they were professional complainers. They loved to complain, and boy, they were good at it. They were slaves. They were slaves for 400 years in the, lands of, in the land of Egypt. And guess what? They complained. And you might think, well, of course they complained. That's a, that's a pretty good reason to complain. And I completely agree with that, but they complained. And guess what? Then God delivered them. And guess what they did after that? They, they still complained. They complained about being slaves. Then they complained about being free. They complained about being hungry, right? And so God, uh, from a rock, gives them water, and, and from birds in the air, and, and through manna in heaven, gives them food. And guess what? They complain about the food. They, they get tired of angel food cake. That's what I call manna because I believe that's what it is. I'm sure the reason they complain is because they didn't have any strawberries and whipped cream. That's how I feel about it anyway. Their, their shoes and their clothes the entire time and they were in the wilderness did not wear out. And guess what they did about that? They complained. Now, I feel like the reason why they probably complained about that is because they needed a good excuse to go get some more shoes and to get some more clothes, but they didn't have one because the stuff just wouldn't wear out. Right? Whatever. If y'all don't help me preach, I'll just hang out here a little bit longer. It's up to you. They experienced God in incredible ways. And guess what? They complained. They actually went to Moses and they said, Moses, listen, you talk to God for us. We saw that mountain on fire. We saw the smoke. We, we saw his presence. We, we, but he, he freaks us out. It's, I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's in the Bible, right? You talk to God for us. We don't, we don't want to talk to him ourselves. You, you, go, you be the in-between person. And Moses said, okay, all right. And then Moses communes with God, and he comes down from the mountain, and his face looks my, like mine after three days at Dollywood, <laughs> like it does right now. Somebody said, well, look, you got some sun this week. I said, three days ago, I looked like Moses after Mount Sinai. So that's what's up. And it wasn't because of, of God. It was because of Dolly. But anyway. <laughs> and, and they said, Moses, the radiance of God's glory is too strong in your life. Can you, you know, can you put something over your face? And so they complained about what they saw on his face. They were given a new land, the promised land, Canaan land. Ten, or Twelve spies go into the land to scope it out, and two of them come back and say, this is exactly what God has for us. This is amazing. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. They got grapes the size of our head. I'm pretty sure it was a watermelon that they just didn't know what it was. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to contradict the Bible, but I'm just saying, you know, maybe they just didn't know. It looks like a grape. It's green, you know, whatever. Anyway. But the other ten, y'all come down. Get back with me here. The other ten are like, no, 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 we can't do this. There's giants in the land. There's big people there. And it's the home of the millers. We can't go there. And so they complained that the land that was promised to them wasn't attainable because of what stood in between them and the land. And here's what's interesting as you read their story, is that a large majority of their complaints revolved around things that God had done for them that they had asked for him. How many of you moms and dads, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you a little bit here, have complained about your kids, but just not that long ago, you were praying that God would give you a baby. How many of you have complained about a job that you believe God that one day you would get to have? Or a home that's not big enough or good enough, but at a time in the past, it was actually an answer to your prayers? Or a spouse, a spouse that today, who, you know, years ago you prayed that God would give you, but today your heart is full of more complaints than it is praises for them. 
So many. Oh, I'm preaching so much better than you're letting on right now. This is what we like to call in the business a pastoral message. You know, evangelists like to come in and make you feel good, and you're like, yeah. But pastors sometimes just have to lay it out there like it is. And you can take it or leave it, but I encourage you to take it, okay? A lot of the things that t- today that we complain about at one time in our life, they were things that we were asking God for. Which shows us, for the Israelites and for us, that our problems are not our circumstances. No, our problems are the conditions of our heart. It's not your problems that are your problems. Let me say it like that. Or maybe, maybe I can make it a little softer if I say it this way. Very rarely are your problems actually your problems. More times than not, the condition of your heart is your actual problem. And if you go on and you read, so we started in Exodus 14. If you get all the way to Exodus 16, you find out that God takes our complaints personally. He actually says to Moses uh, that the people, they're not grumbling against you, but instead they're grumbling against me. They're grumbling against the Lord. And grumbling is just a good Old Testament word for complaining. So let me ask you a question. Can we just be really practical? What do you complain about the most? Don't answer it out loud. That might get awkward. I don't know who's sitting near you, and it would be really weird if you named a name and they heard you. But what do you complain about the most? Do you complain about your kids? Do you complain about your spouse or maybe the lack of a spouse, right? Do you complain about your time? You never have enough. Your energy, you never have enough. Maybe you complain about your church or your pastor. I mean, maybe it's possible. Maybe you complain about your boss. How about your internet speed? I feel like we can raise our hands on that one. Yeah, I feel the Lord in that. The price of your utility bill. (laughs) Money that you don't have that you wish you had. How you look. How you feel. Again, very rarely is your problem your problem. More times than not, your real problem is that you have become more focused on your situation than you have your Savior. And you're allowing what's out there to dictate what is in here, which in return dictates what comes out here, which in turn dictates what is out there. And we live in this vicious cycle of creating a future that we don't want, only to be affected by that future, only to continue to create it with the words that we speak. Oh, that's such good preaching. So how do we stop that cycle? How do we break the cycle of becoming and being professional complainers? I think the first thing that we have to do is we have to take an account of our words. We have to take an account of our words because the words, listen to me, this is, I'm not, I, don't, I don't do this a lot anymore, but this is one of those, I think, if you got your phone, get it out, take notes, whatever, uh, write it down. Uh, the words you speak are creating the reality you see. The words you speak are creating the reality that you see. So you have to take an account of your words. If, if you were seeing things in your life that you wish were different, ask yourself, am I actually the one that is making what I'm seeing by the way I speak and the way I talk? Because the words you speak are creating the reality you see. Now, when we talk about things like prophecy, prophecy, you know, people, people love to take prophecy and run wild with it. And they like to make sometimes, now hear my heart, don't, don't, don't run wild with this. Sometimes we like to make prophecy something that it's not. Okay, prophecy is not a psychic. You know, a prophet's not a psychic, okay? Uh, a prophet, if we're talking about a prophet who has been given special foresight into the future, that is a gift from God. That is not uh, reliable on that person's works. Uh, that is just because that person, for whatever reason, has been chosen by God Almighty to operate in the field of prophecy. And even you, you may not be what the Bible calls uh, living in the office of a prophet, but the Lord may still speak to you in prophetic ways regarding your life or the life of those around you. 
you. But the thing about prophecy is, is that it actually has a twofold definition. In some cases, in the case that we most often think of it as, prophecy is, 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 is a foretelling, right? It is, it is predicting the future in some capacity. It is, it, you know, we actually just read a prophecy from Jeremiah that one day, and it, and that one day God will take the law that he wrote on the tablets of stone and he will write it on the hearts of humans. And then 600 years later in Acts chapter 2, that prophecy was fulfilled. Did you know that Jesus himself fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension? Over 300 prophecies throughout Scripture. And the thing about prophecies, it's not so much about the future a lot of times. It's not so much about one day when. It's about what God is doing in and through His Word and in and through His people. And God's Word through you will never contradict God's Word to you. That's something else you need to know. So prophecy is foretelling. But something that often gets forgotten is that prophecy is also forthtelling. Prophecy is foretelling, but prophecy is also forthtelling because there is a creative element in prophecy. And we see this time and time again through Scripture, and I believe that we actually would see this time and time again in our own lives if we would take an account of our words and begin to pay attention to what we speak as well as pay attention to what we see because, once again, the words you speak are creating the future and the reality that you see. And so prophecy is creative in power. And we see this, probably the most famous story of this happens in Ezekiel when God says to Ezekiel, he asks him the question, can these bones, can these dry bones live? And he says to Ezekiel, prophesy that that these bones may live. And if you go back, you can read it. I believe it's Ezekiel 37. And God's, uh, the bones don't start living. They don't, they don't gain flesh. They don't gain ligaments. They don't gain skin or muscle until Ezekiel begins to speak the words of prophecy over the bones. And by the end of Ezekiel 37, the Bible says that there's a mighty army that's been raised up which is is really a vision that Ezekiel had. But the principle for us today is that, again, that the words you speak are creating the reality that you see, and your, your words are creating a future that's either going to make you or break you. And for so many of us today, because we refuse to take an account of the words that we speak, we are creating a future that we don't want to live in. And so we have to grow up and become men and women of God mature and grounded in our faith, not swayed by circumstances around us, but rather filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that his law and his word is written not on tablets of stone, but rather on hearts of flesh so that when I speak, I speak words of faith. I prophesy life. I prophesy hope. I prophesy blessings and peace and joy and honor and grace. I prophesy by the way I speak to my children a future for them that they're going to walk in and live in and be blessed. You see, I grew up in a home where I was never good enough. I grew up in a home where I was reminded of by my father constantly in some shape or form or fashion that I was not good enough. I'll just leave it at that. I never made him happy to my memory. But you see, my kids, because I'm not going to be controlled by what I can't change, I'm going to be controlled by by my heavenly father's word to me. And my kids are going to grow up in a home where their father prophesies hope and future and blessings and strength and courage. Because prophecy is foretelling. But more than that, prophecy is foretelling. Let me say it like this. You guys okay? It's hot in here, y'all. Some of y'all covered up. I'm about to take this overshirt off. But it's covering up my love handle, so whatever. Amen. Help him, Jesus. Let me say it like this. I love you. You know that, right? But if you complain about your family, you're going to have a family worth complaining about. But if you will start to speak life, maybe I could say it like this. If you'll start to prophesy life, over your family, 
You're going to have a family that reflects life, that reflects love, that reflects hope, peace, and joy. You won't have it tomorrow because you still have to break the chains of those bad prophecies that you've already spoken over your family. So you have to be disciplined enough to be in it for the long haul to see how God will use the words you say to create a future that you actually do want. You complaining about your job? You're going to continue being miserable at your job and probably make other people miserable too. But if you will instead choose to speak thankfulness about your job and understand that your job, I said this earlier when we were talking about our, our graduates, that your job ultimately, the goal of your job is to not earn a paycheck. The goal of your job is to make an impact for eternity. I don't care what you do for a living. If you'll begin to see it that way and you'll begin to speak life over it, then God's going to use you to bring light to darkness. If you speak negatively about yourself, if you complain about how you look, about how you feel, about what you don't know, about wish you, what you wish you did know, you're going to reap what you have sown. And you will continue that cycle of looking in the mirror, either physically or metaphorically, and being dissatisfied with what you see. But if you will begin to choose to speak the word of God over yourself instead of the word of, for me, Drew over yourself. And it's hard to do because it almost seems silly, doesn't it? It almost seems selfish. But I would encourage you, just do a Google search of what does God say about me? And I promise you, you'll come away encouraged. And if you'll begin to speak the word of God over yourself, the perception that you have of yourself will begin to change, not, to, not and become one of arrogance, but rather become one of, we talked about this last week, a one of God confidence, right? And, you, and, and people say this, you know, and I've said this, and I, I've referred to this, I believe, a couple of weeks ago. We'll say things like, oh, I'm just hard on myself. And what they mean by that when they say that is I talk bad to myself. But can I just tell you, that's not being hard on yourself because you're doing what you want to do and very rarely is doing what you want to do hard for you to do. If you want to be hard on yourself, do what you know you should do instead of doing what you want to do. So what do we do about complaints? I'm going to ask you one more time. Are you guys okay today? So what do we do about the things when we would say our complaints are truly valid, right? Because they're, I'm not saying, we don't live in a, in a world where everything is always perfect, right? We live, in a, we live in the real world where we're not perfect, the people around us aren't perfect, our families aren't perfect, our church isn't perfect, our job isn't perfect, our life isn't perfect. And so there are things that, that you might would say to me, well, well, Pastor Drew, there are some things that I, feel are worth complaining about. And, and again, let me just remind you that the words you speak are creating the future you see. So maybe you should rethink that premise before you bring that to my attention. But what do we do when we feel like the complaint is truly valid? Do we just ignore it? Do we just act like it's not real? No, that's, that's silly, right? Do we fake it till we make it? No, we don't fake it. Two thoughts. Number one, if you can change it, change it. Because there's so much in our lives, right? So many things that we complain about. Let me give you an example. You wake up in the morning, and the first thought that comes to your mind, I didn't get enough sleep last night. That's a complaint. You have just spoken exhaustion and tiredness over your life, right? You, you have started your day off from a place of lack instead of a place of abundance. And last time I checked, Jesus came so that we may have life and life more abundantly, right? So you right there from the very beginning of your day have started your, play, your, started your day in contradiction to the life that God wants you to have. Has that ever happened to anybody or is it just the preacher today that's ever walked into that trap that the devil's laid out for me? So, so, Ask yourself, why are you so tired? Now, if you have a newborn at home, this isn't for you. I get it. God bless you. God provides for you in abundance and above anything you could ever ask, think, or imagine in the world of rest and relaxation. But if you don't have a newborn at home, this is for you. Ask yourself, why am I so tired? It's probably, if I had to guess, for many of us, it's because we stayed up too late looking at this little rectangle of death. 
scrolling and looking. Maybe we were watching Netflix. Maybe we were binging our new favorite show, right? And so we stayed up later than we should. We, we overstimulated our brain. And by the time we got ready to go to bed, we had already caught our second or third win. And so we woke up tired the next day because we did it to ourselves. In other words, when you come up with reasons to complain, if you can change it, then you change it. That's what being an adult is, okay? Like, I know. Anyway, okay. And listen, being mature has no bearing on how old you actually are. Okay? I don't care if you're 65 years old. You can still be acting like a 15-year-old, okay? So if you go to, if you wake up in the morning and you're talking about how tired you are, then maybe you should change that. Maybe, maybe you look in the mirror and you think, man, I'm so out of shape. Can I tell you, there is no great mystery to, to getting in shape. You don't need that pill. You don't need that shake. You just need to eat less and move more. Eat good stuff. Now, I'm not preaching from experience. I've just seen it. Like, I just know it's real. So don't you be coming up to me after church being like, Pastor, you need to practice what you preach. I will hurt you. <laughs> you mind your business, okay? Let me do the preaching. Maybe you should just, you know, go for a walk instead of eating that little Debbie again. Don't, don't remind me of that later, okay? I don't want to hear that. Don't throw that back in my face. Maybe you... No, we're not recording this. Delete it. Maybe you complain about your boss or your place of work. But let me ask you this question. When is the last time you went above and beyond to do more than what was asked of you? When you got there early and you left late. And instead of just working to try to get a paycheck, you worked to make a difference. Maybe you're the person that's actually being difficult. Maybe you're the person that complains about never having enough time. Maybe you're also the person that actually needs to get up in the morning and do something with your life instead of sleeping in until the sun's already way up in the air. Now, if you work a, a second shift or, a, I guess, a swing shift job, obviously, I hope you hear my heart here. This isn't trying, I'm not trying to be legalistic. But I am saying you're, you're grown men and women. You shouldn't be complaining about things that you have control over. I mean, like, if there was a mirror right here, I would be looking at it and telling myself the same things. I hope you understand, as has already been made clear when I dog little Debbies, I'm talking to me just as much as I am you. Maybe you would be complaining about your spouse and how you feel distance in your relationship with them. But when is the last time you went out of your way to make them feel special instead of always wish wishing that they would do something to make you feel special? Maybe you complain about your kids. But when's the last time you made time for them to do something fun without caring if you got anything in return from them, but just wanted to make an investment into their life instead of trying to parent in a way that made you feel better about yourself as a parent? Maybe you would complain about your spiritual life, how it feels dry, you might say, you know, I go to church every Sunday and I just don't get anything out of it. But when's the last time you put something into it? When's the last time you owned your own responsibility to feed yourself his word and to worship him not just on Sunday from 10 to 11, but to worship him every day, every opportunity you've been given? James says this in James 1. He says, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves. In other words, don't just know what you should do. Do what it says or do what you know you should do. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Something similar to this happens to me almost every day. This is what it looks like. I go, Alexa, what's the weather like today? 
And I usually have to do that at least three times before I pay enough attention to actually listen to the. Anybody else do that or is it just me? You know, hey Google, Alexa, hey Siri, I don't know what you Android people do. Hey, dumb, dumb phone, can you help me out? <laughs> hey Google, oh. You dumb, dumb phone. You green bubble disgrace you. You in church? You gonna let that one go, huh? Have I told you I love you this morning yet? Let me tell you this too. The number one culprit behind nearly all of your reasons to complain is you. And only you have the power to change them. Not your, not your spouse, not your boss, not your kids, not your pastor, not the person holding you up in traffic, making you late, when in reality, if you'd have just left a little earlier, you would have been on time anyway. Not even God. You know why? Because God will not do what only he can do until you will do what you can do. God will give you tools. God will give you resources. But God won't do it for you. You want to know what a bad parent looks like? A parent that does everything for their children. You know, we live in a culture today where, where we don't have helicopter moms and dads. We have, we have bulldozer moms and dads, right? And so instead of trying to prepare our kids for the world, we prepare the world for our kids. That's a bad parent. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. I love you. But how many of you understand that God is a good father? And so he's not trying to prepare the world for you. He's not trying to prepare situations for you. Rather, he wants to prepare you. Because, and this is why we say that God is more concerned with my character than he is my comfort. God loves me enough to let me go through things in life that are hard for me because he knows that it's in the hard places that that's where I become developed. That's where growth happens. That's where maturity happens. God won't do what you can't do until you do what you can do. So, number one way to overcome complaining is if you can change it, change it. And if I were to, you know, take a poll in the room, I would say that 90% or maybe more of the complaints that we have in our life revolve or fall into that category of things that if I would just do it, they would be better. If I would just go to bed, I wouldn't be so tired. If I would just eat a little better, then I would have more energy. If I would take the responsibility to manage my time better, I would have more time. You know, everybody who's ever lived on this planet and ever done anything great had the exact same amount of time available to them as you do. You don't, it's not that you don't have enough time. It's that you don't have enough discipline. Uh, good luck picking an altar song. Maybe you've already got one, but I don't know, buddy. If I told you I love you this morning? But what if you can't change it? Or maybe I should even say, what if you can't change it yet? You can change how you talk about it. Because words have the power to transform our minds and to create our future. I've said this before, but I want to elaborate on it a little bit today. At some point, you have to stop listening to yourself and instead start talking to yourself. And if I can be honest with you, I, I'll just lay it out there. I am a recovering chronic complainer, known and by other names uh, as Negative Nancy, Debbie Downer. Is there a guy version, like a, a man name? Bummer Brian. Who said that? What? What? Brian? Who, who's Brian? What? Oh, there he is. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, nobody got upset about Nancy or Debbie. I mean, any Debbies in the house? Any? Never mind. I don't want to go down this road. <laughs> Bummer, Brandon. Where's Brandon at? 
back. He's, he's up high. Love you, Brandon. <coughs> I am, though. I'm a recovering chronic complainer. And the truth is that most of my complaints revolved around myself. I was the subject of the majority of my complaints in some capacity or another. Which sounds weird, but that's, you know, every, I just saw the worst in myself. And maybe you can relate to that. And somebody asked me one day, what if you talked about other people the way you talk about yourself? And the truth is, I wouldn't have had any friends at all. And in the recent years, and I've even talked a little bit about this some in the past, it reached levels where it literally began to cause me terrible anxiety, panic attacks, depression, self-hatred. And I would tell my wife about it, and she would remind me, of a lot of what I'm reminding you of today, what does God's word say about you versus what do you say about you? And why are you giving your words and your thoughts more authority in your life than God's words and God's thoughts in your life? And there was something specifically that she said. She said she, said she heard it somewhere else but doesn't know where and maybe she just came up with it and doesn't want to take credit for it. But she said you can't defeat thoughts with thoughts. You can only defeat thoughts with the spoken word. She said, you can't defeat thoughts with thoughts. You can only defeat thoughts with the spoken word. And this is what Paul says in Romans in a way. He says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So when you have negative thoughts and when you are tempted to complain, I want to encourage you today to stop listening to yourself and instead to start talking to yourself. So let me just give you a few examples. So when you, you feel inadequate, maybe you could quote what Joel says when he says, let the weak say that I am strong. Or maybe when you start to feel tired, you know, and you've already went to bed on time and got up at a reasonable time, you know what I'm saying? And you start feeling tired, you could go to Psalms and, and read where the word says, Truly my soul finds rest, not in Serta or Simmons, but in God. Amen? Or maybe when you feel like you're not good enough, which is the place that I've always struggled in my own life, we could go to what Paul says to the Ephesians in chapter 2 where he says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us brand new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Maybe when you don't know how you're going to make it, instead of saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it, you could quote, the psalmist from Psalm 18 who says, you, speaking of God, have armed me with strength for the battle. In other words, what you're saying is, God, you've got everything I need to do in me and through me, everything you've called me to do, whether I feel like I can or not. Come on, that's worth giving the Lord praise this morning. And this is not new. This is not a new word to Lifehouse. Maybe it's new to you if you're new to Lifehouse, but I've preached this many times before because I've had to preach it to myself many times before. But the bottom line is this. At some point in your walk with Jesus, if you want to truly grow in your relationship with Christ, and if you want to truly make a difference in the kingdom, you've got to stop calling it like it is and start calling it how God is making it to be. You've got to start prophesying the future you want to see instead of prophesying the future you don't want to see. You've got to start talking about your kids the way you believe that God is making your kids and making your family to be. You've got to start talking about your spouse and the way that God is making that relationship to look, not just how it looks in the moment, but how God, as he has his perfect will in and through your life, is making it. You've got to start talking about your job and your boss, not how it is in the moment, but how God is making it to be today and tomorrow and in the future as he uses it as a conduit for you to express the goodness of God. Amen. You got to start talking about Lifehouse Church, not as it is today or how it was before, but as God is making it to be, to be a church that shows the world in our community, in Knoxville, in our state, and literally around the world that they are loved and highly valued. Let me just, can, can, you got to start talking about your friends, people in your life that you know and you love, but you get around somebody else and you start saying some things. You know what I'm saying? You start saying, oh, have you heard about, we'll pick on Brian some more. We've already started. We might as well finish it. Yeah. <laughs> Only pick on those I love. You know, have you heard about Brian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing, yeah. I don't, mm, I don't know what he's, he's going to do. I don't know about that. I think he's making a bad choice. And listen, I, have no, I don't know anything. I'm just making fun right now. 
But instead, when we start naming names, make sure you're naming them in a way that if they heard the conversation, they would leave encouraged and not depressed. You might say, oh, I'm just telling it like it is. Well, when is the last time that worked out good for you? Because your words have creative power. I want to speak good words over myself, and I hope when you talk about me that you speak good words. And I would assume that you would hope when others talk about you, they would speak good words so that you would be moving into a future that you actually want. Because your words, when you use them, you are prophesying a future that either you will, eat the, you will either eat the fruit of it and enjoy it, or you will eat the fruit of it and spit it out. Come on, give the Lord another hand clap of praise. I mean, stop talking about how broke you are and how hard it is to pay your bills and how our economy is going down the drain. You need, you need to get that. Can I quote Will Smith? Get that out of your mouth. I don't usually bring up pop culture references, but I could not resist. Get that mess out of your mouth. Stop speaking doom and gloom. Stop texting crisis and concern. Stop posting and sharing stuff that has no actual real world benefit to anybody except to make people more worried and more afraid. Instead, start sharing the goodness of God in the land of the living about yourself, about your neighbor, about your job, about your family. There is so much more in this world to be thankful for than it is to be upset over. We just don't hear about it because we pay more attention to the people on Facebook and the people on news than we do the Word of God. Y'all stand up. I'll be done. So what's the cure, the, the ultimate real cure for complaining? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is Pentecost Sunday after all. Let me make that make sense if I didn't do it already. You guys ready for a little more scripture? Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm not here today to talk about wine or beer or booze. We can have that conversation sometime later. I can tell you this, if you grew up with an alcoholic, you don't like it as much as others. But what's the first thing that happens if you get drunk? Start saying things differently. Justin answered that a little too emphatically. (laughs) You start talking a little differently. Words begin to lean on each other a little more. I don't care if you are from Tennessee or Mississippi. They start drawing even more than they already did. (laughs) Phrases and words that you may not normally use in everyday conversations begin to come out. You begin to speak in a way that if you were sober, you would be ashamed of. And a lot of times, you might even try to hide it. You see, when you're drunk with wine or alcohol, with the lowercase spirits, amen? It begins to affect your speech. But can I tell you, in the same matter, when you are filled with the Spirit, when you are intoxicated, With the Spirit of God, your speech is also one of the things that is first affected as well. And and I believe there's there's biblical proof of this because he says in verse 18, don't be drunk on wine, this leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. But then in verse 19, he goes on, he says, speaking. Everybody say that word, speaking. Speaking to one another. And can I even insert, maybe even to yourself with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always complaining about everything bad in your life. No, that's not what he says. He says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. He doesn't say for the good things, does he? 
Come on, you better help me out or I will not let you go home. Let me read it wrong and see if you can figure out what I'm saying. Sing and make music from, the, from your heart to the Lord. Always complaining about everything God's not done right for you. Is that what Paul said? No, he said, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. That thing that you've been complaining about, God says, why don't you start giving me thanks for that thing? Don't be like the Israelites when they left Egypt that complained about the food I gave them, that complained about the clothes that they had, that complained about the deliverance and the method that I used. Instead, be like a man or woman of God who is growing in maturity in their faith, who is filled with the Spirit, who is led by the Spirit, who when they speak, the Spirit comes out and sing, encourage to yourself, to those around you. In other words, do what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. Be the light of the world so that the people in this world will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven and give thanks to God for everything, the good things, the bad things, the hard things, the easy things. Give thanks to God for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus himself is the one that said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Can I encourage you today? Get rid of sarcasm. That's hard for me. Summer knows. Get rid of gossip. Get rid of slander. Get rid of that negative self-talk. Get rid of the complaints. Make some room in your heart for the Holy Spirit to fill you overflowing so that when you speak, He speaks. I want to encourage you today on this Pentecost Sunday. Actually, let me ask you this way. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just lift your hand right now. Lift it high, lift it high, lift it high. Essentially, everybody in the room, lift it high. Thank you, Father. You know, I think one of the reasons why tongues is given as primary evidence for baptism in the Holy Spirit is because it says something about how God wants control of this weapon inside of our mouths. I know tongues scares people, it freaks people out, but like, there's nothing to be scared of. There's nothing to be worried about. I believe God wants to fill you with the Spirit today. He says, Jesus says in Luke, He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake instead? Any dads in here ever do that? When your kid wants food, you give them like something that would kill them? Anybody? Any takers? Joe almost raised his hand because he thought I was asking a good thing, but he realized where I went and he put it down real fast. I appreciate that, Joe. Sorry I had to call you out on that. It was amazing. I had to point that out. I don't think there's any fathers in the room who would do that on purpose, Joe. No moms either, right? He says, no. If he asks for an egg, you're not going to give him a scorpion. He says, if you then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. You know why Holy Spirit is used there as, as a gift? It's because God cannot give you anything greater than Himself. That, that, that financial miracle you've been praying for, that healing in your body that you've been asking God for, that relational miracle that you've been praying about, all of those things, if God answered all of those prayers, but he didn't give you more of himself, you still would not have what you need. I don't need another miracle. I need him. But how many of you know when you get the Father's face, you get his hand as well? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Today, Lifehouse, the Holy Spirit, gift your father wants you to have. He wants you to be filled, overflowing so that when you speak, he speaks. So that when you talk, you don't do it 
like you do it. You do it like he does it. That's the real cure for complaining, the real cure for negative self-talk, the real cure for, for d- demonic conversation, if you will let me even say that. I feel like that's strong but accurate. It's not trying harder. It's surrendering more. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, there's no special prayer. Me laying or not laying hands on you isn't of itself not special. We will do that because the Bible tells us to do it. But ultimately, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want God to change your words by changing your heart so that you begin prophesying a future that you want, all you need to do is ask. Seek and knock and trust that your good Father will give you everything you need to do everything He's called you to do. As our team leads us for the remainder of our time together, these altars are open. You don't have to come to the altar, but I have noticed in my life sometimes when I make a physical move externally, something spiritually internally begins to move as well. And if you want to be filled with fresh, overflowing, fresh, uh, filled anew again, whatever it looks like for you, I want to encourage you today to ask Him. And then as you ask, receive. That you would begin to prophesy with your mouth out loud. Some of you, you struggle because you just stand there and this is what you look like. But I want to encourage you to take upon yourself a posture of worship. I like to lift my hands because if somebody came up to me and, and, and had a gun to my back, I would put my hands up to tell them, hey, you're in charge in this situation. So when I lift my hands, I do it because it's an outward form, you've heard it before, of inward surrender. I do it also because when my girls want my attention, they walk up to me like this. And I want my father's attention. And so I walk up to him with hands lifted. I also do it because the Bible tells us to do it, to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So we don't fight our battles like this. We fight our battles like this from a posture of surrender, not a posture to fight. And then begin to open your mouth. You say, I don't know what to say. You just start thanking Jesus for his love for you. You begin to praise him. You begin to express your adoration to him. You begin to ask him to fill your heart so that when you speak, he speaks you got to assume a posture of worship. Begin to praise with your words, to prophesy a future that he has for you. And ask him, Father, will you fill me? As they lead us, I know, listen, it's 11.59. we got one minute left. As they lead us, you can come you can lift hands, you can kneel, whatever you do, don't leave the same way you walked into this building today, though. Allow Him to touch you. Allow Him to fill you. Allow Him to change you.